a friend of mine was having trouble sleeping. All right, she was going through a rough time, a lot of stress at her job. Her roommate, uh, she lived with a couple, had just told her that they were moving out at the end of the month and they were splitting the rent three ways. Um, she just broken up with a boyfriend. That been about a month. Her life wasn't a mess, but there was a lot of change happening at once. She had a sleep machine and this playlist called Sleepy Time that usually worked, but for three weeks she was at a loss. She went to a doctor here in L.A. and she was prescribed cannabis. She'd never tried it before because, well, it was a drug. But based on his recommendation, she thought she would. She got a medical marijuana card and went to her phone to see where she could go to get some weed. She was pleasantly surprised to find that there was a weed store 0.8 miles from where she lived and 1.9 miles away from her job. Any apprehension that she felt melted when she saw brownies and gummies and oils. There was an assortment of ways to get the goods. She eventually decided on a joint and made a purchase, and she smoked and had the best sleep she'd had in a while. It's hard to believe that at one time she could have gone to jail and got a $5,000 fine for enjoying the goods. Good, good people. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Meanwhile on the Farm, where we get back to the subject at hand. I'm your host, Corey. Uh, each episode, I find a story or a situation or issue, and I explore it at the intersection of race. Um, I take that story, situation, or issue, unpack it, and then offer you some plausible and practical solutions on how you can actually get involved. Then after we give you the goods, we talk about an individual or organization that's spreading some sunshine. And we all love a little sunshine, right? Um, in case anyone wants to know, I haven't been to the beach yet and it's hurting my feelings. So anybody want to go on a beach trip, I'll let you boy. But I'm not getting in the water. Uh, today's episode is about the weed, the ganja, the devil's lettuce. The stink weed, the urge, the rope, that chronic. Well, not so much as weed, but as the effects of weed and not the actual physical effects, more like the societal effects. Now, let me tell you what this episode is not. It is not an endorsement for weed. At the same time, it is not a weed is bad rant either, okay? If you want to live your weed dreams, you grown, or at least I hope you are. Live your weed dreams. If you don't want to touch the stuff, don't. Uh, again, this is not about the weed itself, but rather what it's done and what it's doing in our society. Now, I do want to acknowledge that abuse to any substance is not a good thing. I'm an advocate for a whole and healthy human being, okay? So no matter what your viewpoint is on cannabis, uh, it can be addictive, but so can food, sex, and alcohol. I think we need to roll back a few years to talk about how weed became illegal in the first place. How was it decided that this naturally occurring thing would, through possession, sale, or usage, would warrant some jail time and some hefty fines? Some of y'all think weed and cannabis hasn't been around very long. The fact is, the stuff's been around since the 1800s, at least. Uh, Anglo-Americans and Europeans knew about the medical benefits of the plant. Um, there was an Irish doctor by the name of Sir William Brooke O'Shaughnessy who was studying in India. Uh, he chronicled that cannabis extracts could ease uh, cholera symptoms like stomach pain and vomiting. Um, and by the late 19th century, Americans and Europeans could buy cannabis extracts in pharmacies, doctor's offices to help with uh, stomach aches, migraines, inflammation, insomnia, and other ailments. So here we have the growth, purchase, and distribution of cannabis as legal. Yeah? Bringing it in, legal. Stomach ache? Whack some weed. Migraines? Get that ganja. Inflammation? Reach for that roach. 
Other benefits that they found claim that cannabis could decrease seizures and dampen pain. Uh, I'm bringing all this up to let you know that at some point, weed was a need. It was a good to go. It was accepted and loved and was found in nearly all major medicine cabinets. <laughs> it didn't have any negative strings tied to it. But somebody thought it was high time, see what I did there, to change all that. At the beginning of the 1900s, just after the Mexican Revolution, um, an increasing number of Mexicans were crossing over into the border, and not only did they bring with them their customs and cultures, they brought with them their Juana, marijuana to be exact. Yes, they brought drugs over, but a drug was just a medicine. That's what a drug is, medicine. At first, Mexicans used cannabis to relax and for medicinal purposes, but the media decided to demonize Mexicans and call their behavior and culture disruptive, including their use of marijuana. Wait, Corey, wasn't marijuana the same thing as cannabis? The same cannabis that whites were already using? You betcha. Americans called marijuana big, scary, and disruptive when they had the same stuff in their medicine cabinets at home. Now, for those of you who are saying, see, they brought drugs. Shh, because that so-called drug is legal now. Well, re-legal. America thought, we got to get these sedated and healed Mexicans under control before they do something crazy, like, I don't know, eat a whole plate of brownies without milk and relax all the muscles. So, America, Texas more specifically, took a page from the book of San Francisco, who actually outlawed opium to control Chinese immigrants, and created a reason to get these pesky Mexicans out of the way. The reason? Marijuana. Wait, Corey, wasn't marijuana the same thing as cannabis? The same cannabis that whites were already using? All right, you asked that question already, and I'm not going to tell you again, okay? Yes, it was the exact same. But whites weren't being targeted. Mexicans were. There needed to be a reason to pat the Mexicans down and take them into custody and ship them the heck out of the states. Introducing the Marijuana Act of 1937, which was started because this medicinal thing that they had already been using for at least 100 years prior was causing men of color to be violent and solicit sex from white women. This claim sounds oddly familiar to a certain president's claim. If I figure out which president, I'll let you know. And if you figured out before I figured out, you let me know. Unless you're listening to this high. And if you are, congratulations. All right, for the record, I can't get high. <laughs> some of y'all know that, some of y'all don't. But yes, parents, teachers, and friends, I have tried to get high. I even went to uh, Amsterdam and told them that I wanted the strongest stuff they had. And they gave me this stuff called amnesia. I tried it, nothing. I've tried blunts and joints and bongs and vaporizing and brownies and gummies and pins and pills and oils, nothing. Um, I think I have a, a high um, pregnenolone count. Please don't judge me, all right? A quick story. When I was in Amsterdam, um, when I was trying all the stuff, I put that, a bong, and a couple other things, some goods, in a, a little separate, small, tiny bag. <clears throat> and I put that bag in my bigger carry-on, and then I forgot about it because I was, you know, backpacking and things like that. Um, the time came for me to leave, and I was going through security, and they just grabbed my bag <laughs> to hand check it. And it wasn't until that point, like, I completely forgot about it, and it wasn't until that point that I remember that I had all the cannabis in that little mini bag, okay? Y'all, when I say I was sweating, there were beads of liquid forming in cracks that I didn't even know existed. <laughs> I didn't want to go to jail, not in Germany, um, so I started praying in languages that I didn't know I could speak. <laughs> and 
he pulled out the little bag, and I couldn't even swallow. Then he put the bag back in and wished me to have a nice day. I immediately unpuckered. (laughs) I smuggled European cannabis into the States. Now, the serious question is, does that or does that not count as being a drug dealer, which would have given me some kind of street cred? Back to falsely accusing cannabis and Mexicans of being dirty things. Okay. For the record, it was never scientifically proven that cannabis had this effect on people. Um, Americans needed a reason, so they found a reason. Just very on brand for the United States. Marijuana Act of 1937. The Marijuana Act didn't outlaw cannabis. No. Why would you think that? No, it taxed it. This was drafted by Harry Anslinger. Harry was a United States government official who served as the first commissioner of the U.S. Treasury Department's Federal Bureau of Narcotics. He served under Presidents Hoover, Roosevelt, Truman, Eisenhower, and uh, Kennedy. He drafted this thing, okay? It was a blatant attack against race. It says it in the title of the act itself. This stuff is called cannabis, okay? The tax was for cannabis. They called it marijuana because it was targeted at Mexicans. The Marijuana Act of 1937 came after a film called Reefer Madness was designed to push the agenda of demonizing marijuana, but not cannabis. Cannabis was fine. But Corey, wait, wasn't it the same thing? Oh my gosh. What did I tell you? Yes, it's the same thing. Jeez. Here is the outline for the film. In this film, Reef of Madness, this unmarried couple named May and Perry were drug suppliers who enticed several restless teens and people their own age to buy the stuff. Their customers would frequent a reefer house. Gradually, Bill and Jimmy were drawn into smoking dope, which affects their family lives and leads to a terrible crime. What's the crime? You'll just have to watch Reefer Madness to find out. I have the original trailer from 1936. You want to hear? Okay, of course you do. Uh, I think it would be funnier if you were high. Again, I'm not saying that you should get high, but most things are funnier or introspective if you're high. Okay, this is the uh, (laughs) trailer. These high school boys and girls are having a hop at the local soda fountain. Innocently, they dance. Innocent of a new and deadly menace lurking behind closed doors. Marijuana, the burning weed with its roots in hell. In this film, you will see the ease with which this vicious plant can be grown in your neighbor's yard, rolled into harmless-looking cigarettes, hidden in an innocent shoe or watch case. If you want a good smoke, try one of these. You will meet Bill who once took pride in his strong will as he takes the first step toward enslavement. Of course, if you're afraid. Smoking the soul-destroying reefer, they find a moment's pleasure, but at a terrible price. Debauchery, violence, Murder. Suicide. And the ultimate end of the marijuana addict. 
Did anybody else catch how they said harmless cigarettes? <laughs> That's funny. Um, you can still buy cigarettes in the store, and cigarettes are killing people all the time. So there's that. Now, this trailer is listed under comedy, but back then it was taken very seriously to push an agenda. Funding for this film came from a church group. So now we have church and state coming together to push an agenda, an agenda against people of color. Doesn't sound very Christ-like to me. Let's continue. The first person arrested under the act was exactly the type of person who they wanted to arrest, a Mexican-American named Moses Baca. Now, some would say that it was Sam Caldwell, but it wasn't. It was Moses Baca. Uh, Moses' arrest came before Sam's. Moses had about a quarter ounce of cannabis in his drawer after the cops were called on him for being drunk. Not high, drunk. Anzinger accused Mr. Moses of gunplay, which can't be found in any of the police reports. Sam Caldwell, who never smoked it, just sold it and was arrested after Baca. Guess where they both lived? Colorado, the first state to re-legalize it. <laughs> That's some irony for you. The judge who sentenced Baca, whose name was Judge Foster Symes, he wanted people to know how disgusted he was by marijuana. He said this in court. I consider marijuana the worst of all narcotics far worse than the use of morphine or cocaine. Under its influence, men become beasts. Marijuana destroys life itself. I have no sympathy for those who sell this weed. Then they were both falsely accused of having this operation going. Apparently, Caldwell sold Baca three joints, which isn't true. Caldwell sold three joints to a man named Claude Morgan. But who's Claude Morgan? Nobody knows. The Marijuana Tax Act of 1937 went into full effect in October, and just a few days before, these two men were arrested. Now, Harry, the guy who was at the head of all this, was a smart little child of God. Now, he couldn't get Congress to completely outlaw weed because, you know, it comes from the earth and grows in the wild. So he needed to find another way to make this happen. So he focused on vending. That's easier. Fine. If I can't stop you, Mother Earth, from growing green gold, I'm going to poke my racist little nose in another area. So Anslinger created this sort of catch-22. What Anslinger proposed was, fine, sell it. You can sell cannabis, but you have to purchase a marijuana tax stamp. Fair, right? Okay, so here's the catch-22. To get the stamp, you had to show up with your cannabis. Because you didn't have the stamp, the cannabis with which you showed up was illegal, and it would activate an arrest on illegal possession charges. And secondly, nobody really actually knew if the stamps even existed, nor did anyone know where you could buy them. Sounds unconstitutional. It was. And it caught up to them in 1969 when Timothy Leary, a guru, was arrested. This is how it was unconstitutional. It breaks the Fifth Amendment. The Fifth Amendment says that no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury. So that means that there was no jury present or anything like that, so you can't be you know, charged for a crime. So Timothy Leary's case was unanimously overturned, and they was mad. 
<laughs> so what now? Just ask Richard Nixon. Controlled Substances Act of 1970. The beginning of the war on drugs. We've all heard about this, the war on drugs. The war on drugs. So in 1971, two congressmen released a report on the growing heroin epidemic among U.S. servicemen in Vietnam. Uh, 10 to 15 percent of the servicemen were addicted to heroin. And President Nixon declared drug abuse to be public enemy number one. I think that's also a rapper, right? Uh, an enemy needs something to whom to be an enemy. Yay, President Nixon. Good job. So the <laughs> there's sarcasm there. So the Controlled Substances Act of 1970 was dolled up in the following way. It said that it was there to amend the Public Health Service Act and other laws to provide increased research into and prevention of drug abuse and drug dependence, to provide for treatment and rehabilitation of drug abusers and drug-dependent persons, and to strengthen existing law enforcement authority in the field of drug abuse. Mm-hmm. But what was it really? Here's a quote from John Daniel E., who was counsel and assistant to the president for domestic affairs under President Richard Nixon. You want to know what this is, this war on drugs, what it's really about? He asked this with the bluntness of a man who, after public disgrace and a stretch in federal prison, had little left to protect. The Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. So this war on drugs was taking everything into consideration, and I'll get into that. I think what I want to do, what I need to do, is dedicate an entire podcast to drugs and how it's not really as cut and dry as you think it is, you know. But I have to stick to cannabis here, okay? Um, so this war on drugs included cannabis, the Controlled Substances Act, the CSA, is the uh, statute uh, establishing federal U.S. drug policy under which the manufacture, importation, possession, use, and distribution of certain substances is regulated. The act also served as the national implementing legislation for the Single Convention on Narcotic Drugs. Um, it should be noted that it was recommended by the Schaefer Commission, a commission that Nixon ordered so that he could have final recommendations on what drugs were most dangerous from top to bottom. Um, that commission said that marijuana, which was included in Schedule 1 as a, just a placeholder, should not be included at all because it wasn't harmful. Now, Nixon gave zero Fs about that and included it anyways. Yep. He was essentially saying that cannabis was entirely harmful and served no real medical value. Doug. Shout out to Nixon. Hey. So this plant was legal, was made illegal, not because of its harmfulness, because doctors definitely did use the drug for medical purposes, but because of its connection to a particular type of person, so to speak, Mexicans. And when the war on drugs was released, it was connected to another group of people, 
of color, blacks. And I just like to point a finger at the fact that blacks were already being shut out of humanism. This just gave uh, a real tangible reason for attack. Okay. So President Nixon declared this war on drugs and used some lying to do it. Um, and here's what that meant for America. And these figures come from drugpolicy.org. The amount annually spent in the U.S. on the war on drugs is $47 billion plus dollars. Billion with a B. The number of arrests in 2017 in the U.S. for drug law violations, 1.6 million. The number of drug arrests that were for possession only, 1.3 million. That was 85.4%. So that's you just having it on you. The number of people arrested for marijuana law violation in 2017, 659,700. The number of those charged with marijuana law violations who were arrested for possession only, 599,282. That's 90.8%. Law enforcement finds cannabis in whatever form on your person and you're charged. You don't have to be smoking. Somebody's like, here, hold this. Please come out. Oh, you're charged. Bye. Arrested. Percentage of people arrested for drug law violations who are black or Latinx, 46.9, despite making up just 31.5% of the U.S. population. Number of people in the U.S. incarcerated in 2016, 2.2 million, the highest incarceration rate in the world. Number of people in the U.S. incarcerated for a drug law violation in 2016, 456,000. Number of people in the U.S. who died from accidental drug overdose in 2017, 72,000, none of which were from cannabis. Number of states that allow the medical use of marijuana, 33 plus the District of Columbia. The number of states that have legalized marijuana, 10. Those states are Alaska, California, Colorado, Maine, Massachusetts, Michigan, Nevada, Oregon, Vermont, and Washington State, and the District of Columbia. They need in the District of Columbia. Number of states that have decriminalized or removed the threat of jail time for simple possession of small amounts of marijuana, 22. Holla back, other 28. Let's get it going. Uh, FYI, this war on cannabis did not stop the use or sale of cannabis. It's numbers time. I found these stats on the ACLU website. Uh, you can go to the Meanwhile on the Farm Instagram account to see those. These are in reference to the arrests made because of cannabis. Most of the people that are being arrested aren't heads of cannabis rings. They're like little people, like Sally Shoemaker and Cashier Casey. According to the ACLU's original analysis, marijuana arrests now account for over half of all drug arrests in the United States. Of the 8.2 million marijuana arrests between 2001 and 2010, 88% were for simply having marijuana. Nationwide, the arrest data revealed one consistent trend, significant racial bias. Despite roughly equal usage rates, blacks are 3.73 times more likely than whites to be arrested for marijuana. Over 7 million people were busted for having pot between 2001 and 2010. Blacks and whites use pot at about the same rate. We chilling together. Whites use it a little bit more than blacks based on the numbers, the statistics. But blacks have been nearly four times more likely to be arrested for possession. In Iowa, D.C., Minnesota, and Illinois, blacks were 7.5 to 8.5 times more likely to get arrested than whites. Getting busted affects jobs and public benefits. Yeah. 3.6. That's the number of billions, with a B, dollars that are used per year to enforce marijuana laws marijuana laws. So what's the point of all this? 
The point is the fact that our time and money as a nation can be better spent. We dig ourselves into these situations that could have been avoided altogether if we recognize that once we get past that skin thing, we all have eyes and teeth. Well, most of us anyways. <laughs> We're all flesh and blood and weak and scared. And there are way more people of color sitting in jail, missing birthdays, weddings, funerals, graduations, life. They're missing life over something that's racially motivated. I'm not surprised. Not at all. Again, this is where we've been for a while. But people are getting emboldened to talk about it, which is a good thing. Right now, Illinois is vowing to expunge the records of nearly 800,000 people who are in jail for marijuana possession. They're trying to correct it. And every other state needs to do the same. And there may be those people thinking that, well, those people broke the law. And at that time, that's what the issue is, you know. Keep them in there. Okay, did you know that in the city of Mobile, Alabama, the use of confetti is strictly prohibited? To carry, manufacture, sell, or handle the party supply is considered an offense against public safety. That's a law. You want another one? Okay. In Alaska, a person cannot get drunk in a bar and remain on the premises. The statute says an intoxicated person may not knowingly enter or camp out where alcohol is sold. That's a law. I can tell you into these. Okay, I'm going to give you another one. In Maryland, oral sex is illegal in giving and receiving. A person found in violation is guilty of a misdemeanor. That's a law. Oh, you want more? Okay, fine. The statute on the books since 1931 makes adultery a felony. It's punishable by a maximum sentence of four years in prison of possibly a $5,000 fine. That's a law. You thought I was done? Nope. In Mississippi, profanity in public could land a person in jail for up to 30 days. It's illegal for anyone to use vulgar or obscene language in the presence of two or more people. That's a law. And that was the last one I'll do today. Psych. In South Carolina, a male over the age of 16 can seduce a woman by falsely promising to marry her. That was the last one, I promise. The point I'm trying to make is that these are laws. So if we want to talk about breaking the law, Let's examine all of those things as well. Some of y'all will be avoiding Maryland altogether, you big nasties. Imagine being jailed for something you did and then finding out, just kidding, it's legal. You'd want something to be done, right? Right now, you can have weed delivered to you. People are in jail for years for that. You can buy it just for fun. People are in jail for years for that. In certain places, you can grow it. No stamps necessary. People are in jail for years for that. You can brutally rape women. People are in jail. Oh, oh, wait, they're not. Sorry. My bad, Shane Peach and Michael Wysoslavsky. Hey, Michael, quick question for you. Um, how is the girl who you kept in a dog cage for two years and sexually assaulted? Maybe the three of us can discuss it over a nice pile of weed. If only I could get high. <sighs> All right, enough of the ridiculousness. So what can I do? Number one, legalize weed. That's radical. Weed is bad. Says who? Says an agenda. I thought weed was bad for a long time, but after going back through the history, I'm like, okay, so it's connected to that. You don't have to smoke it, but legalize it. You can send a letter to members of Congress at marijuanapolicyproject.saucelabs.org. That's the website you go to. Again, I'm going to be posting all of these in the Meanwhile on the Farm highlight section on Instagram. Um, the letter will then go to Diane uh, Feinstein, Senator Kamala Harris, and Representative Adam Schiff. After you send that, there will be a link so that you can share it and then get other people involved as well. Number two, 
Senator Dianne Feinstein, Senator Kamala Harris, and Representative Adam Schiff. Their numbers and a script are on the Meanwhile on the Farm Instagram page. There'll be a script for legalization, and there'll be a script for expungement. For the record, expungement isn't just about letting people free and out of jail. It's about erasing a criminal record so they can get a job and live a quality of life. Number three, contact MPP for help in arranging meetings with your state legislators and congressional representatives. This is something that you can do with a group of people because there's power in numbers. Personal face-to-face visits to these offices uh, can have considerable influence on elected officials. Um, You can go to mpp.org forward slash take action. There's a link there to send them an email and they can walk you through how to set up a meeting and, and points to discuss and things like that. Uh, Number four, actually, Illinois is on board and California is joining. But if you know someone who's in jail right now uh, because of weed and they live in the state of California right now, this is where we are. Um, And I can keep doing research for other places. You can actually uh, call someone to get an expungement um, and plead your case. I will post again, post that in the highlight section on uh, on Instagram. And now it's time for the good stuff. song up just now um maybe i should just call it the good stuff i asked y'all for help and nobody reached out to me to tell me what they should call this section so i'm just going to call it the good stuff today's the good stuff story is about yeah i like that today's the good stuff story is about an award-winning creative agency called revolve impact um this particular uh agency i have uh, been aware of um maybe since november of last year um and I met them through a friend of mine, but they uh, utilize radical imagination, art, and culture to communicate ideas um, and connect brands with causes and advance social change. Um, I'm gonna be posting these on the Meanwhile on the Farm page. And they're actually fresh on my brain because yesterday they had an event called uh, Close the Camps, hashtag Close the Camps. And the focus was the children at the border. At this event, there were three stations set up. One was a social media station where you could speak in videos, post pictures, Uh, that type of thing. Another station was a phone banking station where you were sitting right next to other people who were on the phones calling uh, congressional members about that particular subject. So that was cool. And then there was a third section that had um, blank pieces of paper and and markers and colors and uh, colored pencils and pens and things like that with the Spanish translation as a letter of love to the kids. They had the words already written in Spanish. Hola, mi nombre es Cory. Quiero que sepas que no estás solo o sola. Uh, mi familia y yo estamos pensando y orando por ti. Te mandamos mucho cariño y un gran abrazo. Tu amigo, Cory. I'm in English. That's, hi, my name is Cory. You're not alone. My family and friends are thinking and praying for you. We send you love. We send you lots of love and a big hug. Your new friend, Cory. And that's at hashtag close the camps. You can see more of what those pictures actually look like. It was such a, a wonderful event. Um, and what's interesting is that's actually another thing that you can do. Have one of those at your place. If you wanted to get together with a couple of friends with some wine. And that was the great thing about it. Everywhere that you looked around the room, there were people that were there for. There were people that were there for the same purpose. And that is supporting human life. Oh, gosh, guys. Sorry, people that were supporting human life, um, 
because when when it all comes down to it, that's what we are. We're all human. We all bleed. We all cry. We all laugh. And somewhere, somewhere that gets lost in interpretation. Um, gosh, this is designed to make you feel hopeful. And I'm just overwhelmed with emotion because of the hope that was in that room and the activists for change that were in that room. Um, you can visit them at revolveimpact, just like it sounds, dot com. Uh, again, I'll put that in there. Um, and you can follow their initiatives and see how you can get involved with them um, too. And that concludes this episode of Meanwhile on the Farm. A billion times, thanks for listening. Um, it's so cool and inspiring to see that people are actually listening to the podcast. So thank you for that. Um, if you have a story that you think you might want me to unpack, please send it my way. Uh, let me check it out. Uh, if you have a story about some excellence that's showing up, definitely let me know that as well. I'll send those as well. I like those. Um, pass them along. Um, the email address is meanwhileonthefarm at gmail.com. If you're not subscribed to Meanwhile on the Farm, just go ahead and do that. Um, I just want you to know when new episodes are out. Right now, Meanwhile on the Farm is on eight platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and whatever platform on which you're listening to this right now. Um, if you could do me a huge favor and like and share this, I just want to get the word out about these things. Uh, also, hop on Instagram and follow Meanwhile on the Farm, meanwhile.on.the.farm, to see what's uh, coming up and steps for education and um, also to get the highlights for the steps that I talked about today. Just to help you keep aware when it seems the world is trying to kick you off your seat. I'm a one-man show with researching and editing and recording, and that takes a good amount of time. Um, and I would love to get a research assistant. Uh, so if you feel so inclined to become a monthly supporter, we'll greatly appreciate it. But there's no pressure. Either way, I will not stop what I'm doing. Um, again, my name is Corey. This was Meanwhile on the Farm. I appreciate you listening so much. There's a lot of love out there, y'all. Go out and get some, and then go out and be some. Remember, if you're silent, it speaks volumes.